The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we would ask you to bless the reading and the speaking of your word to our lives this morning. We're mindful of friends and family who aren't with us and are working or sick or traveling or unable to be here. And even at this hour, make them aware that we love them and your presence in their life. And for those of us gathered here, we come with very mixed feelings. Some of us, this is a good day and a good week, and we're eager to hear your word. Others of us, we're reeling from life and all the things that have happened, and we're not even sure about some things we used to be sure about. Lord, I just pray that wherever we are this morning in our life, that we will meet you here and we will listen to you and we will let you do what you do so well and meet us at the point of our greatest need. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We talked about that last week, that if we have him, we can want for nothing. He is what satisfies us, not the things of this world, not the things we look at, because all of those are eventually going to go away. You may have health today, but in the back of your mind, you know you may not have it tomorrow. And so there's always that anxiety of what happens if. You may have finances today, but you may not have them tomorrow. You may have your family with you today, your spouse with you today. But we all know how uncertain life can be. You're one phone call away from something changing your life forever. And so it's possible to live in that kind of anxiety of what if, what if. And yet here we see that the Lord will never be taken from us. The Lord is my shepherd. And really, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and, and he has redeemed you, I think it's appropriate even to look at this sometimes and read it. Jesus Christ is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he is indeed the Lord of our lives. And we can look at him in that personal kind of way. We, we have this wonderful example of who God is in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and certainly he is our shepherd. And so when I have him, I don't want for anything because he's all that I need. Now, you would say, well, how can that be? All that you need, you need, you need food, you need family, you need friends, you need protection. Well, he does all of those things, and, and the psalmist is going to explain why once you have him, that's really all you need. He'll take care of everything else, and we'll go through these each individually. First of all, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, I don't know much about sheep, and I don't know about making them lie down. So I had to do a little look at that this week. And uh, there's a guy who's a, a pastor and a writer, and yet actually, believe it or not, was a shepherd for about eight years. His name is Philip Keller, and, and he knows a lot more about sheep than I do. And this makes a lot of sense because makes me to lie down in green pastures. You think, well, how hard is it to make sheep lie down in a green pasture, right? Well, apparently, it's not that easy. Remember, we talked last week about sheep being what? They're weak and they're wayward. They're weak because they're so susceptible to attack from any predator. I mean, they got no real defense, and they're, they're wandering, they're wayward. They're not real bright always. They just keep eating and sort of wandering off into danger. And so they're always skittish. And to make them lie down, 
Keller says there's really about four things that have to happen in order for sheep to lie down. First of all, they've got to really be sort of free from any friction with other sheep. In other words, if there's some stuff going on, you know, between each other, they're, they're aware of that. But if they're at calm with one another and there's sort of no friction in the flock, that's the first thing. The other thing he said, they really need to be free from, you know, flies and pests and things like that that would disturb them and cause them to move around. Because if they're moving around, then they're going to bother the sheep next to them and they're going to be moving around and you see where this is going. And they got to be free from fear that there's not a predator out there. And so in order for them to be able to, to lie down, these things have to be taken care of. they got to be free from fear and free from friction among one another and free from pests that are bothering them. And, and also, finally, they've got to be free from really hunger. In other words, as long as they're still hungry, they're going to keep eating. But once they're really full and satisfied... Follow me. Once they're really full and satisfied, once there's no real pests that are bothering them, flies and parasites, once they're not all stirring around and bothering one another, and once they feel like there's no outside threat that's going to harm them, then sheep will lie down. And I, I don't know about you, but if you deal with anxiety in your life, you can really relate to this, right? Because there's always something to worry us. There's always something to bother us. There's always a pest or, or a disturbance or a fear or a hunger or a need. And when all of those things are met, wow, we can finally lie down. How many times at night would you really like to lie down? How many times at night are you a lot more like a sheep than you think you are? You just can't rest. You just can't relax. That's why we watch TV till 2 in the morning or take Z-Quil or whatever. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take Z-Quil if you take Z-Quil. But nonetheless, that's why we find it sometimes hard to shut things off and go to sleep. And I really think we can identify with this. And, and so when the psalmist, and these people knew about sheep and shepherds and how hard it was to get the sheep to lie down. But he's a good shepherd and he can take care of these things in our life if we lean to him and listen to him. I love that. So he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He takes care of all of those things, the fears, the anxieties, the, the worries, the dreads, the disturbances of life. The shepherd handles those and makes us lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters where we can rest and drink. And he does that in order, verse 3, to restore my soul. Restore my soul. Not necessarily bring me health and wealth, but restore my soul. He brings me peace and comfort and guidance, and he's with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters where I can drink, in order that what? That my soul can be restored. Not just my body, but my soul. He brings restoration to the deepest, most inner parts of our being. Look, you can... You can Go do a scratch-off ticket at the quick trip, win a bunch of money, take your family to Disney World, and for a few days, you're kind of restored, right? But when you get back, life is just like it was. Things are just like they were, and, and you're back where you were to begin with. And, and what we really need in life is not something to distract us from our problems, not something to distract us from our concerns, not something to distract us from our worries and our heartaches, but something that genuinely restores the innermost peace in our being, the innermost peace in our soul, so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, I can be content no matter what happens. That's where I want to be in life, because I can't control what's going to happen. 
I don't know what tomorrow brings, but as the songwriter says, I can know who holds tomorrow. And I think it's really wonderful that in this psalm we see that the goal of the shepherd to have us lie down by the green green pastures and beside the still waters is not just a temporary to make you feel better and feed you and give you something to drink, but to actually bring restoration to your deepest, innermost part, to your soul. And that's what we need. And the fact that we are a culture of people who are so lost in terms of trying to find satisfaction, whether they try to find it in, in experiences or in, in, in addictions or in relationships or in finances or all of those things, they bring a bit of satisfaction for a while, but then there's always, a, there's always an end to that. And there's a, sometimes a price, a tremendous price to be paid for that. And what we really need is peace. Calmness, comfort, joy, and he restores our soul. And then he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm not going to take the paths of righteousness unless I'm guided that way. I can't do this on my own. Left to my own devices, I'm not going to take the right path. I'm not going to take the right road. I'm not going to follow where I need to go. I'm going to end up where I don't need to be. And the shepherd leads me. I have to follow him. And if I follow my own desires and my own needs and my own wants and my own ideas, they may seem good for a moment, but I'm like that wandering sheep and I'm going to wander off and get into all kinds of danger. I'm not going to take the right path in my own wisdom. Now, the adversary will tell you, you can. Remember the two trees that were in the garden? The tree of life, from which they ate every day? Last night, I was at our worship at Lenexa, and our pastor, Chad, is preaching through Genesis. And I'd encourage you, strongly encourage you, to go to Lenexa's Baptist website and listen to these of the most amazing sermons on Genesis I've really ever heard. And uh, he's so good at this. And, Last night he talked about the tree of life, and he was quick to say that this is sort of his opinion, and I would agree, but I tend to agree with him. They went there every day. I, you know, originally when they were created, they were created for, to live forever. They, they, sin had not come yet, and the idea is sort of that you go to the tree of life, and perhaps whatever that fruit, it was a real tree in a real garden, and when they ate of that, it, it gave them immortality. God gave them that tree of life. But he also gave them a tree and said, this is a tree you will not touch. You will not eat. You don't go there. But they chose paths of their own righteousness, right? They didn't choose the path that God, when they had the chance to choose, they chose to look at the other tree. Why? Because Satan came to them and said, look, here's the deal. God's really keeping the best away from you. There's really more to life than you're experiencing right now. And he doesn't want you to eat of that tree because really it's not that, it's because he's really holding something back. And all of this is good, but there's even better over here. If you eat of that tree, you're really going to see something great. And they did. And they sinned. And sin and death and all the curse of sin and death that we still live with came into the world which necessitated Jesus coming to take away that curse of sin. But Adam and Eve, on their own, when they had everything they could ever want, including immortality, when they, Satan came to them, they didn't follow the paths of righteousness. 
they ate of that tree. And I'm going to tell you, on your own and on my own, we're not going to choose the path of righteousness. And that's why we have to be guided in that path. And we're guided as we follow our shepherd, as our soul is restored. He leads me. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Look, you can just, man, you can just man it up and say, I'm going to do better. I'm not going to yell at my kids. I'm not going to be that kind of wife that distracts from, from the glory of God in our marriage. I'm, I'm not going to be that kind of employer that, that is hard on my, I'm not going to be that kind of employee that complains all the, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say these things. I'm not going to look at these things on the website anymore. I'm not going to take this, this drug anymore. And you can, you can really try to muscle it up, but you and I both know. I, even, even if you're agnostic and you go through a 12-step program, there's the idea there that you can't do this on your own. And we all know, on our own, we're still like Adam and Eve. And we're going to choose poorly. But he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then verse 4, a very famous verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And clearly much has been said that for those of us who are followers of Christ and believers and children of God, that death is a shadow. It's not the final. It's not reality. It's not the end. But it is there. It is a shadow. It is a darkness. It is a valley. It is not something exciting and good and something that we dread. And so even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I still will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me and then your rod and your staff your strength and your leadership and your guidance they they bring me comfort even at the point of death so here we see the shepherd not only does he cause us to be calm in the midst of all kinds of things and take us to a place where we can have our soul restored and not only does he lead us away from sin but in patches of paths of righteousness but now even at the point of our greatest enemy the total enemy all of us fear death even when I face that I am not going to be afraid doesn't mean that death is not there. I still walk through this valley, the shadow of death, but I don't fear it anymore. And it's not that I don't fear it because I'm able to, in my mind, pretend it's not going to happen or, or to ignore it. I don't fear it because you are there with me. I am not alone, even in death. And you will comfort me at the point of my death. And then verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Again, Look, what the psalmist is saying here, life is not the absence of trouble. And that's what we want it to be. And sometimes when you look at some, some churches in North America and around the world in the 21st century, they want to promise you a life absent of trouble. You know, if you, if you follow Jesus and you join this church and you, you give money to this ministry, he'll, he'll make sure that you don't have any sickness anymore and make sure that your bills are all paid and make sure that your car runs well and make sure you got everything you need and he wants you to be happy, he wants you to be wealthy, he wants you to be prosperous. A lot of times they go back in the Old Testament and they read the scripture that where God is promising specific things to the nation of Israel for specific times and specific reasons. You know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. Oh, that's for me. Well, no, actually that was for Israel at a certain time. Because if you claim that all the time, what happens when you don't prosper? What happens when you lose your job? What happened when Paul, when he said, you know what, I'm out of money. I got to go make some tents. I guess he didn't know that he wasn't supposed to not prosper. 
You see, this is not about the absence of adversity and the absence of difficulty and the absence of disease and the absence of enemies. That's not what this is about. This, and here it is, buckle up and listen and take this home with you. This is about the presence of Jesus in our life through it all. This 23rd Psalm is about Jesus and that he is the consistent one from beginning to end. God is with us from beginning to end. He's consistent in all areas of our life. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He is there constantly. So that's why we can lay down like sheep because we don't have to fear because the shepherd will be with us no matter what happens. That's why we can let him guide us in paths of righteousness. That's why we can even face death and not fear it because he is with us. Not because of us, but he is already, not only is he with us, but as Christians, he has already been through it and defeated it. And he has made a way for us. And what the tomb used to be the end. It was where you'd be sealed up and death would win. But now for the believer, the tomb is the entrance to heaven. I don't fear it anymore. Because the reality is I'm going to live again and all who are in Christ are going to live again. Death's a reality, but I don't fear that reality. Not because of me or my ability, but because of what Jesus has accomplished. And then in the presence of my enemies, it's not that there's a lack of enemies in my life. And look, David knew about enemies. You know, you and I, we have enemies, obviously. Sometimes they're real people who just drive us nuts and bother us and pester us. And, and, you know, I agree that. But sometimes, you know, your enemies, your fears, your anxieties, you know, a chronic illness, we could go on and on. But there are these things that just, just enemies. Listen, David had legit enemies. David was a king of a relatively powerful regional kingdom. But David didn't have like a huge standing army like we have today, right? I mean, he just didn't. He had a small standing army, but not a huge standing army. They couldn't do that in those days. He didn't have radar that could tell when any missiles or any hardship were coming in. He didn't have, he he wasn't able to have air cover to know what the, he he would look in the hills and he couldn't know for sure when some enemy army was going to come rushing over those hills because basically he's sitting there, very wealthy king in a relatively regional kingdom that many people around him would have loved to have taken and he knew that any moment someone could come over those hills and he would have to try to gather his army and it wasn't quick it wasn't easy to do and defeat an enemy it wasn't quick and he also knew that if he got defeated his end would not be pleasant he's the king and so when he talks about that he lived with that fear every day or that reality every day as all kings did his future was uncertain. And you think, well, he was the king. How could he not? No, I mean, those nations didn't leave each other alone. I mean, they were constantly trying to take each other over, take what each other had. So David understood about being in the presence of his enemies. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I like this part because... Having a meal, preparing a table before me, it's not just about the meal. I read somewhere, again, I think it might have been Keller, but whoever I read said, I like this a lot. He said, you know, you come together for Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner with all of your family and extended family. Wouldn't it be weird if everybody just came to the house and 
walked in the door and nobody said a word and all you did was focus on the food and just eat the food and get up and leave. I mean, it's not why we have these events, right? It's what? It's the community. It's the fellowship. It's the love that takes place over these. And so what the picture that the psalmist is pointing, playing for us here, showing to us here rather, is that in the midst of being surrounded by enemies, I still have this amazing sweet fellowship with my Lord. The presence of enemies doesn't remove the fellowship I have with him. And on occasion when we celebrate the Lord's Supper here and come together for communion and we take the bread and we take the cup, we're having fellowship with the Lord, communion with the Lord, and everything around us is still the same. Some of you take that cup and you still have cancer. Some of you take that cup and you're still uncertain of a job that you may or may not have. Some of you take that cup and you still have children that are disobedient and wandered away. You may not even know where they are. Some of you take that cup and you're still dealing with addiction or want someone you love. But in the midst of all of that, you still take the cup and he still communes with you and he's not left you. In the very presence of life and all that it's troubling, I still have this sweet dinner, joyful time with my Lord. He doesn't say, oh, we can't have that. There's too many bad things going on. We gotta just shut this whole thing down. No, man, we go on. You look at the first century Christians and how they were persecuted, tormented, and yet the joy they had Even Stephen, the first Christian martyr, how he went to his death. And we could go on and on about how those Christian martyrs went to their death. And the presence of their enemies, the the fellowship with the Savior was even sweeter. Anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. The presence of the Holy Spirit, oil. And again, you and I both know, especially if if you're older like me, you and I can look back on our life and we can absolutely see as followers of Christ. Look, there are things in our life we would never want to go through again. There are things in your life you may be going through now you don't want to be going through. I get that. But for those of us who are truly followers of Jesus, we'll all admit that in those times when life becomes the most difficult and most pressing and most hard and most overbearing, that those are the times when everything else is blown away and we run to Jesus and we throw ourselves at him because we know we can't handle it. And in those sense, really, we receive even more of his presence. We feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way we've never felt before. I have felt the, 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 the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life far more at times of real chaos and crisis crying out to God than at times when I'm just fine and everything's okay. He anoints my head with oil. I mean, he just gives me his presence. And my cup, it overflows. I love that. In the presence of my enemies... I don't care what you bring. Bring it, Satan. Bring it. Come on. The more you bring, the more presence of God I'm going to get. It's exactly what the New Testament says when it says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. This is exactly what the New Testament means when it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it's exactly what Corey Tinboom meant when she said, there's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And his grace is all sufficient. I love that. In the very presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. And in the very presence of my enemies, my cup overflows. It's not that my enemies aren't there, but so are you. And your presence is made even more real in the presence of my enemies. And then surely goodness and mercy will follow me when all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Again, what we see in this wonderful psalm is the consistency in the psalm is that God never leaves us. God is consistent through all of life. He's consistent in those early stages we read in this, in this psalm where he leads us to green pastures and he makes us to lie down and then he restores our soul and he deals with us as we fear and look forward, look toward death and he walks through that with us and he's there with us in daily life when it's tormenting and difficult and challenging and in the midst of that he brings a special anointing of himself and a special filling of our cup and oh by the way, this goes on for all eternity. Death isn't for eternity for the believer. The enemies are not eternity for the believer. But he is eternity for the believer. And he restores my soul and he guides me through this valley shadow of death. And he, he's with me in fellowships and communes with me in the presence of my enemies. And he fills my cup and he anoints me. And then I know that surely goodness and mercy is going to be with me all the days I'm here on this earth. There's not going to be a day when he's not going to be present. I don't have to worry about him leaving or leaving me alone. Every day he's with me. And then beyond that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you can't read that text without hearing Jesus say to his disciples just weeks before everything was going to come undone. Just days before everything was going to come undone. Jesus gathers these disciples together. He says, listen, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let me pull back the curtain of heaven and let me show you what's going to happen. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I go prepare a place for each of you. And the word you, he said, was not for you all. It was I go and prepare a place for you, Peter, James, John. I go and prepare a place for you. Put your name in there if you're a follower of Christ. And I will come again and receive you. Mark, that wherever I am, you will be also. The psalmist says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Jesus says, you're not just going to dwell there. I've already prepared a place for you, just for you. And that's your inheritance. And when you get there, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more enemies. There'll be no more challenges. But while we're here on this earth, walking through this earth, because of the curse of sin, you're not alone. You have a wonderful shepherd. And if you will listen to him and lean on him and look to him, he will make you lie down in green pastures. He'll calm your heart. He'll take away the pest. He'll take away the fears. He'll take away your hunger. And you can lay down in those wonderful green pastures. And then he'll lead you in paths of righteousness. Because on your own, you're not going to take those paths. And then when you think and fear and have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll have great comfort because he has not left you there. In fact, he's led you through that. And daily when you deal with the anxieties and the troubles and the curses of life, your fellowship with him can be even sweeter. Not at all interrupted, but even sweeter. The idea that in the midst of the great challenges of life, my cup overflows. And that surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me every day of my life. Not one hour of one day is he not going to be there. And not only that, I'm going to be with him in his house forever. What a glorious psalm. What a glorious truth. Made possible by a glorious Savior. If we're not for Christ, if we're not for him... We would not have this ability to have this kind of relationship with God. Even when David was writing this psalm, even though Christ had not come yet, he was looking forward and understood that God was going to bring salvation. He had a trust in a future salvation. We have a trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
And the good news is your trust is not in a particular local church. It's not in a particular pastor. It's not in anything other than Jesus Christ. And he is the one who's able to do all of these things and even more. This is such a sweet psalm. And there isn't a single one of us in this room that doesn't need to hear it. There isn't a single one of us in this room that doesn't need a good shepherd. And if Jesus Christ is your savior, he is your good shepherd. And if he's not your savior, he can be your savior today. And you can repent of your sin and call him Lord. And he will do for you exactly what he's done for us and what he's promised to do for all who follow him. And you can find peace. Jesus said this, the peace I give you is the peace the world can't give you and the world can't take away. Is there anything better than that? Anything better than comfort and peace, regardless of what happens? Do you realize how that just takes away our anxiety? Doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. Doesn't matter what happens next year. He's not going anywhere. Death, enemies, it doesn't matter. He's going to be there. Not just here in this life, but for all eternity. So now I can truly enjoy him. Listen, and if I can truly enjoy him, I can truly enjoy other people. And I can glorify him by the confidence I have in him and the comfort I have in this life.